WMNF Tampa. Hi, I'm Jennifer McTritus, Chair of the Diversity and Inclusion Committee. Tune in to 88.5 FM and WMNF.org to hear interviews with our volunteer programmers, music you won't hear anywhere else, and informative news. Our Diversity and Inclusion Committee is excited to connect with organizations and individuals that support our local area. Thank you for keeping our community strong, and we want to help you make a difference. Let's do this together by emailing diversity at WMNF.org. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11 we bring you a conversation with local experts on sustainable issues. Your hosts today are myself, Kenny Coogan, and the astounding Annie Ellis. <laughs> I love my description. Hi, Kenny. <laughs> Hi, Annie. Answering your calls is Clark, and working the boards and keeping us in check is Mr. Bill Grace. Today we are talking about growing organic vegetables with Jim Kowalowski, a home farmer. Stay tuned in as we find out what a home farmer is, and while, all while we promote a balance of people, profit, and planet. But first, we have a call from Barbara. She's going to be calling in and talking about an exciting film that is coming out this week. Hello, Barbara. Hi, Kenny. How are you? We are doing hey, great. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Annie. I, thanks a lot for having me on this morning. I appreciate it. So um, the Sierra Club and the League of Women Voters are hosting a virtual showing of a movie called The Story of Plastic. Uh, it's all about the global crisis that we now have with plastic and what, what we can do about it. It's a really good film. If you register, um, and I know you have the information on your website, you can get a link and you can watch it in advance of the meeting on Thursday, on Wednesday, sorry, at 7 p.m. is the meeting. But you can also watch the film at 5 p.m. Um, before the meeting. So, But it is an hour and a half. So if you can watch it before that, that would probably be great. Um, and we're going to have a panel discussion after, um, after we bring everybody on um, about what people can do. So we're going to have uh, one session talk about legislation and policy around plastic, um, another session on reduce, reuse, recycle, and rethink. And then one on what local businesses are doing to be a little more green and to help you reduce what you have. Um, it, the movie is pretty astounding. Um, it's really quite a problem in the world from beginning of plastic development and production all the way through to the crisis of all the pollution in the oceans and on land. If, ever, if you've ever been on, on a cleanup and Earth Day is coming up, which is one of the reasons why we're having this film around Earth Day, um, you'll see there's just in the litter so, so much plastic, lots of plastic bottles, plastic cups. It's, it's astounding to me, actually. So, um, but we want you not to be just so overwhelmed by the problem. We want you to know that there are things that you can do to help with this problem. That's so, great. Uh, I want to ask you, though, do you happen to know uh, the how for somebody to get in touch, not just go to our website? Is there a link that oh, uh, someone can get? Um, yes, there's, there's definitely a link. Um, it's a long link for me to okay, read. Okay, go but... ahead. <laughs> okay, you want me to read it? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so it's HTTPS. H, you know, but... how, say okay, that again H, and slowly. All right, I'll go slow, sorry. 
https colon backslash backslash uh-huh. act act dot sierra club dot org okay backslash events backslash details oh. I'm telling you it's long any yeah so <laughs> let me just ask you this uh, if they went to Sierra Club uh, looked up yeah. the Sierra Club and looked for events it, and they could uh, delve right in there the, they could find it right it, much easier to okay. do it that way and yes it's right on the front page if you just pull up Sierra Club T- Tampa Bay Club uh-huh. Sierra Club, it's right on the front. Okay, page. great. You just click on now, it. one other thing I just wanted to let other people know because I've already done it. I registered. You can register for it and you can watch the movie for free. Otherwise, it costs a couple of dollars. And right then, Amazon, uh, then you're yeah. prepared for the discussion uh, for uh, it later on, on on Wednesday. On Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I highly encourage you to watch it. I've watched it a couple of times. Yeah, and- it's great. It's great. Well, thank you so much for calling in. We really, really wanted to have you on here because this is just a couple of days for everybody to know about it. And this was, uh, you know, a perfect timing. So thanks again, Barbara, for calling in. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks again for having me on. I really appreciate it, too. Uh Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. And now uh, we're on to Jim Kowalowski. Oh, I'm thrilled. Uh, He is an organic farmer. And in the winter, he grows in Newport Ritchie, Florida, in two big front yards. And in the summer, he grows in a little more space in Maine. He has a very large YouTube presence since many people regularly film him. He doesn't do his own YouTube stuff, or occasionally I think I've seen something in Maine. But mostly it's just because everybody wants to talk to Jim because he's so interesting, and he is. And uh, he gets lots of TV uh, and press information or attention, too. Uh, But mainly... To me, he feeds a lot of people with delicious organic food, and he does it by his own manpower and hand tools. So welcome you to the program, Jim. Thanks. Glad to be here. Oh, it's thrilled to have you here. Um, So uh, I actually go to Jim and uh, pick up a box of, of food from him every week. Uh, a CSA, uh, he figures out what he has left over or what he, he thinks is a good thing for the day. And we go and and um, and give him a little something in exchange, a little money in exchange. We're not supposed to talk about that, but that's what happens. And um, he <clears throat> gives me a wonderful amount of food that I live on really for the week. It's just a m- remarkable thing. And it's just beautiful to go to his garden and see uh, how gorgeous it is. So tell us about your, your home farmer, Jim. Uh, what is that? Tell us about well, that. I'm an urban farmer. Urban uh, farmer. Okay. Yeah, so I'm farming in the city. All right. Which is, you know, a really good concept because, you know, a lot of our populations live in the city. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've got exceptionally local food. I sell it you know, three blocks from my house at a market at the library, and I sell it three blocks from my house at a health food store. Um, so it doesn't travel far. And then I'm actually using the neighborhood's recycled yard waste for my sole fertility source. So yeah. it's a really circle of life. Yeah, that, uh, that's a wonderful system that you have over there in Newport Ritchie that they, uh, a sustainable system, literally. I mean, they, people are giving their yard waste and the city grinds it all up and it composts itself out. And then you go over, well, other people go over and get it. I actually do too. Uh, but you go over there and get that. And tell us about what you do with that. Well, I just layer it twice a year across the half acre of land that I'm farming here, which is this two front yards, but mm-hmm. it adds up. 
Um, so I'm spreading about 80 yards across that half acre twice a year. So every changeover in season, I add about an inch, an inch and a half, maybe two inches of, you know, fresh compost. This, you know, sometimes only three-quarter finished compost, the woody debris, but I find that works really well for me. Mm-hmm. I pretty much have a weed-free garden because of that, because the compost pile gets so hot, it kills, you know, any weed seeds in it. And, you know, it's got a lot of... Um, long-term fertility there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's kind of surprising to me uh, when I see it, how that woody um, stuff works so well, because I know that you do uh, uh, seed starts in uh, soil. You you make those yourself, uh, and that just fits right in there. Can you tell us a little bit about that? About my seed starting? Or what I'm putting it into? I'm don't know what question you're asking me. Yes, um, the, about the, the way you do your seed starting and then how you put it in. Okay, yeah, well, I've been doing it for a lot of years. I came across a guy named Elliot Coleman, a book called The New Organic Grower back in the 90s. It's probably the best organic farming book I've ever read. But he talked about soil blocking, and I you know, tried it, kind of doing it my way, and I following his recipe, and it didn't <laughs> work out so good. <laughs> I was part of an organ. So that's one caveat people should take in hand when they try stuff. You know, I was part of a a group of people that always said, if you want what we have, you do what we did. So I went back to the drawing board and followed his um, exact way of doing it with a soil block mix, and um, it turned out awesome. So I'm just, you know, making a mix of soil and compost and um peat moss and a few amendments not very many um and then i make it into a kind of a i don't know it's like a mortar mix consistency with water and mm-hmm. then there's this press that you can push into it it's hard to explain but it's just like a cookie cutter kind of that compresses all that soil and um it pushes it out when you put release a plunger and you've got these really nice soil blocks that allow you to grow without any confinement of the roots so they tend to grow much more naturally, and there's a lot less transplant shock. And ever since I've been doing it, I've been so impressed with the quality of the plant. And yeah. Then, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, you go ahead. I was, uh, go ahead. Well, then I, I actually then put it into this, what a lot of people see as just mulch. But, you know, it's really three-quarter finished compost. And, you know, I've even set the soil blocks on top of that, which you wouldn't think would be even possible to grow anything, but they will root. Mm-hmm. especially if they're in a marginally shady area that doesn't dry out too much. Mm-hmm. You know, I've found that, you know, the soil profile doesn't need to be that perfect compost. You know, I've seen again and again many plants, the few times I pull up a plant and look at the roots, oftentimes the root is inside the piece of woody debris. So they're oh, looking wow. for something in there. So, um so that's interesting. Uh-huh. That's interesting to me uh, that because I know when I see that it looks like all wood on top, big pieces, uh, you know. And uh, it it does seem to me that because yours does so well, it's because it's the very very beginning of starting it out correctly, you know, and that it doesn't have any struggle at all from you starting the seed to it getting in the ground. And that little window of time, it seems so important to me to have a good start, uh, you know, then... Uh, it is. Yeah. Because often when you go to, you know, like a big box store and buy, you know, seedlings, they might have been sitting there two weeks. Mm-hmm. I've seen, usually I've got like a four to five day window on 
the maturity time when I'm happy to put them in. Mm-hmm. I mean, they still do all right if I go a little longer, but um, they really rock it to get them in, you know, at that window that's about, you know, four or five days. And then also the timing on when I'm planting these things. Because, well, you know, I show up here in, you know, second week of October and everybody else, my farmer friends, have already been going since August. Mm-hmm. You know, but a lot of the plants that are doing are not happy in the August and September uh, temperatures. Yeah. I show up in October. Usually it brings the first 60 degree temperatures. And that's when these winter season vegetables are the happiest. So I'm able to plant things that catch up and sometimes surpass some of the people that have stuff in in September and August. Yeah, you know, too, I mean, uh, people out there don't realize that what you do, though, I know that you you do a cover crop. Uh, basically, when you leave town, right before you leave town, you cleared everything out. You actually just cut everything off the top, leave the roots That's in there. That's what so. I'm doing today. Are you? <laughs> I knew it was coming up. <laughs> and then you do uh, sweet potatoes. Uh, as a cover crop, right? Right. And, you know, cover crop I've come to see in very different terms since I started following a, a farm out in uh, Sebastopol, California called Singing Frogs Farm. Uh-huh. Um, I can't, uh, the Kaisers, it's a couple out there. I've looked them so up they, just looking up Singing Farm Farm or Singing Frog Farm. So it's. Yeah, easy. they've yeah. got incredible information. They're really rocking it out there. They're getting like nine crops a year out of an area where all the other farmers are only getting four or five. So they really have it tuned in. But um, what they always talk about is every cover crop is an economic crop. Right. Every economic crop is a cover crop. Right. It's not just something I'm sowing out there to um, just improve the soil. It's Mm -hmm. also a crop that, along with protecting the soil and along with improving organic matter, and providing space underneath a canopy during the summer that there's all kinds of critters in there. It's awesome. I mean, sometimes there's rats running around chewing on sweet potatoes too, but there's life in there instead of cooking. Like, you know, the majority of land that's fallow is just bare. And yeah. And it's killing the world. It really is. It's just terrible for our uh, atmosphere, uh, for all that dust yeah. that flies all over the place. I've seen some, uh, some shots of that. that you know. Yeah, the scale that happens out in the Midwest and the massive. Yes. It's, it's real thin to do that. We're missing all that photosynthetic action that could be happening with plants on that land. Yeah. And then you harvest it. I mean, right. uh, you know, and those sweet potatoes are delicious. This year. <laughs> How many did you get? I bought 3,000 pounds. 3,000 pounds. And this, y'all, is a cover crop. <laughs> and and then the rest of y'all, people too, if you do uh, sweet potatoes, you can eat the leaves. They're delicious. Uh, so I think I've talked enough. But we can give Kenny a little turn over here. I'm completely off the charts here. Uh, so I'm, I'm Annie Ellis, and you are listening to the Sustainable Living Show at WMNF Tampa 88.5. Today's guest is Jim Kowalowski. And if you want to be part of the conversation, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and we will read it over the air hi jim this is kenny and i have watched hours and hours of <laughs> you on youtube cool. pre- previous to knowing that you were going to be a guest so i'm excited to speak with you and it's really amazing how you do all of that on a half an acre can you tell us how did you or when did you start selling food at markets has this been your lifelong dream or did you just recently started doing it no my history has been you know in um you know plant care over the years i started up in minnesota bowling lawns with my brother 
started a lawn care company and ended up down here mowing lawns for apartment complexes. Actually, the mowing apartment complex right next to Sweetwater. When oh, that's funny. Right over there, which is kind of funny. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, eventually I got out of that. It's kind of a cutthroat um, thing. Yeah. And, you know, it involves a lot of chemicals. And it really, you know, it's all about, you know, presenting this picture of, like some kind of beauty, I guess, with the square shrubs or the round shrubs and the perfect St. Augustine lawn. And it just wasn't feeding my soul. So, um, you know, I was searching for something else. And in the meantime, you know, I had some personal stuff, a divorce and all that. And ended up taking care of a guy's estate for eight or nine years. Um, and it was allowed, he allowed me, he actually set me up rent-free utilities free with a salary, um, which is a pretty good deal. Yeah. And then allowed me to started on a piece of land that was like 10 acres of pasture and you know we landscaped the whole thing ran a little nursery um and right now you know some of the stuff i planted back you know 30 years ago the palms are 40 feet tall and all that um but then somewhere in there i heard about or i read a book called um Gaia's Garden by Tommy. That's Toby Hemingway. such a great book um it's, it's a really good book it's a guide to home scale uh, permaculture and you know the concepts in there were like mind changing for me that I could see myself as a participant in um, a habitat instead of a manipulator, you know, that I could be a, a beneficial species, you know, in my habitat. Um, and then also in that way of participating, I could, you know, help my neighbors and my local community by selling food. So, you know, I just, First time I went to a market and, um, you know, made 40 bucks and I was all celebrating. I was harvesting local citrus and, you know, that's where it started about, you know, I guess it had been 2007. Okay. How did that book translate into Florida gardening for the permaculture? Was it an easy translation? Were were all those principles applicable to what you were doing or was it? Yeah, you know, permaculture is a real broad spectrum. It's a lot of um, concepts that you can take. Um, and use pretty much in any climate. If you really get into permaculture deeply, there's a designer's manual that covers, like, all the ecotomes around the world. But, you know, what I found, and it's been true, because I'm gardening in two very different places, you know. The northeast Maine, you know, that goes through that whole winter period, and then this tropical south that, you know, or subtropical south that goes through all the heat and humidity in summer. You know, the concepts pretty much, went across the board that worked you know the whole idea the best thing i learned about there well there's so much but um you know the the sheet mulch the idea that you can be growing in a a layered or a layered um composition of all kinds of different organic matter um no matter what you show up with you can just keep layering it and it will suppress the weeds and you're pretty much growing in a cold compost pile so you're not waiting for you know, all the turning of the compost to get the final product, you're growing in it as it's composting. And, you know, the roots are actually helping in the compost process, and they're living off that nutrient cycling. And that is the most powerful thing I could give to any gardener because everybody's working for the finished compost, which is a good thing. I mean, organic farmers, you know, bow to that. But I think they're missing so much in the time between when the compost starts and when it's finished. Do you have the same system up north? Are you selling at weekly markets there, or are you taking it you easy? Know, I'm trying to make it, easy. you know, in the last few years, more of a working vacation because I've got a little girl up there. 
And, you know, I'm trying not to go so full out. Because here right now, I'm, you know, working 70 hours a week or 60, 70 hours a week. I'm, you know, it's, but I do. We do a little farmer's market at the farm. Um, and we do a little CSA, a box, kind of like Annie picks up tomorrow, you know. So, you know, it's less, though. Because here I'm doing, you know, anywhere between 40 and 50 a week. And up there, it's only like 12. Okay. And how is your pandemic, or how has the pandemic uh was it good for you during business? Were people more into local produce? Yeah it, some, yeah, it opens people's eyes to how fragile our system is and how untrustworthy it is because you really don't know where your food is coming from. You know, the Cisco truck, you know, everybody's worried about food handling at the time, but, you know, so they knew I was the only one that handled the food. But as they started tasting the food coming from really good organic soil, they're amazed. And you guys that taste the food I grow out of this garden, well, the garden grows it. I just help. Um, <laughs> but it is, it is amazing the difference. I mean, most people haven't tasted food like this since, you know, great-grandma had a garden. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, when you are choosing the produce, are you choosing the varieties and the cultivars that work best for you? Are you choosing stuff that people are familiar with? I know you have, like, beautiful lettuce and a yeah. lot of people in florida struggle growing lettuce but your lettuce is like multicolored, and you have there's all the, a lot yeah, of you have different a, types yeah so i was wondering as a vendor how do you choose what you're going to grow you know i've stepped out of the box you get more um confidence as you go through this i've been doing it you know pretty hard for like 12 years so you you start to trust your own intuitions and you know the feedback at market you might change things up a little, but, you know, I've grown a lot of, well, not a lot, but, you know, three or four crops that nobody ever heard of before, you know, and I just put it out in the market, get it in people's hands, you know, give it away sometimes, or just try this, or, um, and next thing you know, they're coming back, and next thing you know, the health food store wants it, and so I've introduced, you know, three or four crops that, you know, hadn't been done before, so don't be shy if you're a farmer follow your intuition and your, your passion about what you're interested in. Mm -hmm. We have a question from uh, the email, and it's from Meg Keller. She says, hello, everyone. We just love the sustainable show. I have a very active garden full of edibles, native flowers, and other plants that attract the insects like black bumblebees, honeybees, and tons of butterflies. This weekend, we had 10 monarchs emerge from their chrysalis. Her question is, what is the trick to grow butternut squash and eggplant successfully? Jim, do you have any suggestions on those two crops? You know, my whole theory on farming and gardening is to um, grow what thrives and not just survive. You know, and I've tried, you know, a lot of crops that just haven't gone for me. And so I just gave up on them. And, you know, one of them is winter squash. You know, the time frame here is such a short period. Um, so I can't really give her any um, tips on that eggplant because I'm leaving here about the time the eggplants would be reducing. It's not worth my time to grow it. So I don't have a lot of experience with it. But, you know, they often have a lot of problems with nematodes. That's one of their biggest issues. And the more organic matter you have in your soils, the better they'll do. 
Yeah. Very. You know, one thing I did know about eggplant is I learned this a long time ago is if you uh, soak tomato leaves in water and use that as a spray tea, that it really helps discourage uh, in- insects on it. I don't know why that, that's the trick, but it works perfectly. And also the other thing about eggplants is that you that can go for years. I was just going to say that. Yeah, go ahead, Kitty. I don't want to steal your thunder here. I was just going to say, I, I have one eggplant that's four foot tall, and yeah. it's a Thai eggplant. It only produces like a tiny little fist-sized fruit. But How um, old is it? Probably at least three years yeah. old. Yeah, and that's the thing with the eggplant. Once you get it going, you just it's a you tree. Know, let it go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It'll produce for you. Margaret, uh, or I'm sorry, not Margaret, Meg Keller from uh, St. Petersburg, that was her question. She also added that she does compost, and she has a healthy bin full of worms and their castings. Yay. And we have another email from David, and he wants to know, what does your guest think about hemp as a homegrown crop? Is this even possible in Florida? Jim, do you have any experience with that? <laughs> that you want to talk about? <laughs> they made my marijuana or cannabis legal for home uh, growing in Maine now. So we did oh. some CBD plants up there last year. It was a lot of fun. Um, had them in a greenhouse and... Actually, use some of the CDB oil and some salve that my girlfriend makes. But yeah, I have no idea about Florida what's going to work. Yeah. Well, you're not here. Uh, but half the time, that's a, a lot of this. Uh, the, these questions are about you know a gardener that would want to have things uh, at different times of the year, and you know I know for Jim he has to get in there and get a lot of food out of a small area. So anything that's going to take up a lot of room, like uh, you know pumpkins or squash or like that, that's going to take up a lot of space. That that wouldn't work. So we want to thank David and Meg for sending us those emails. And we want to remind listeners that you are listening to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5. Today we're talking about market gardening and urban farming with Jim Kovaleski. If you want to be part of the conversation, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and we will read it on air. Hey, Jim, it's me, Annie, again. Hey, I wanted to touch on something that I always found very interesting when I am talking to you about things is that um, I know that when you harvest uh, the plants, when they're finished, not that you're just harvesting the leaves down below and using it you know, for a, a length of time. When you harvest the whole thing and you're throwing that into the compost, uh, you leave the roots uh, in the, uh, the soil that you have. And do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, there there is a, that, again, going back to the Kaiser's right. um, idea about what's important is there's a, you know, a bond between, you know, plant and soil, and roots are the part of that that bonds it together. And so active growing roots make the soil more productive. You know, we always think about we've got to have good soil for the roots, but, it's, you know, they work together. And so if I can cut a broccoli out, you know, that's finished out, and then have lettuce seedlings, ready to go on the ground that afternoon, mm-hmm. there's no break between the soil and a root um, connection. connection. So yeah. It's important to do that. Plus, that's all organic matter as it does decompose. And it's less disturbance on the soil. More and more people are realizing, you know, the less you disturb the soil, the more it's connected to a bigger environment. Yes. 
I'm so glad you talked about that because to me that is so important to uh, let it work for you. I mean, we work too hard, I think, about it. You know, we uh, tend to... uh, you know, till the land. Yeah. and I was going to ask, is this considered a no-till garden or is that something it a little different? No, I mean, it would be. I, I don't go by, a lot of times you get dogma with any kind of a, you know, thing like that. But, you know, I, I dig sweet potatoes, so I'm, you know, I'm tilling to a point. Um, but the idea is disturbance as least as possible. And the whole idea mm-hmm. is composing a system that, you know, kind of works for you with mm-hmm. nature. Instead of imposing the will of the farmer commander that I'm going to make this happen, I mean, I could be growing apples down here, but, you know, they survive and they don't thrive. And maybe yeah. you spit an apple out the window and it grows, you know, and I could grow citrus in Maine and greenhouse. But you can throw an apple out the window in Maine and it grows? <laughs> oh, there's forests just from deer eating them and pooping them out and they're all... That's incredible. It's like a Johnny Appleseed thing. Right. <laughs> yep. Were you saying that you were you put the lettuce seeds in between the broccoli when the broccoli's done? Not the seeds. So, again, the that's why I start plants. I start, you know, 20,000, 25,000 soil blocks every winter here. So they're, they're you know, five-week-old seedlings that are ready to go in the ground, and I'll be harvesting outside leaves of lettuce plants within a week. And how do you calculate the space between the broccoli, and then how do you figure out how much lettuce you can put in between the finished crops. You know, there's a lot of things about, you know, we rely so much on information. We think this information age is so important, but wisdom comes from experience. So it's mostly experience, trial and error, Mm -hmm. you know, and the more you do it, the better you get at it. And the more you see openings, as long as you're not following some certain recipe that it's got to be 18 inches or 16 inches or 12 because you see openings. I'm usually interplanting. So when the original broccoli goes in the ground, I'll plant lettuce right next to it because the broccoli takes about, you know, probably 30, 40 days before it starts shading out the lettuce. And I can get a crop in between the broccoli from the lettuce before the broccoli goes and takes up all the space. And then I get the broccoli crowns and side shoots after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it all works together symbiotically. You know, when you were talking about uh, with the no-till situation, all that microsia is talking to each other. I mean, uh, they're all, you know, okay, you need this. Let me give it to you, you know, uh, and then all those things are decomposing below ground, and it's feeding all that too. So, I mean, I find the less we do, the better. And I also, um, when I know this, so I'm just going to ask you, though, when you get pests on uh, on your plants, what do you do about that, Jim? I kind of say, why did you show up here, pests? Because, <laughs> you know, they are usually tuning into some kind of problem with the plant. Yeah, distress. So either it's growing out of its, um, you know, calendar time. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of the, right now the kale is getting past time because it's getting hot and the days are longer. And, you know, I didn't have an aphid on kale, you know, for, you know, I don't know, three months, but now they show up. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying, oh, man, I got to spray this and spray that or do this, it's time to get the kale out. Yep. You know, they are your messengers as a farmer and a gardener that there's something out of balance. And Thank you. Instead of killing the messenger, Listen. Yes, that is that is perfect information. They're the messenger. I'm going to steal that, Jim. I hope that's okay. That's why my chicken coop. 
I can come up with that. I just have been reading a book um, by Sir Albert Howard, who wrote it in 1936, and he said the same thing. He did? Yeah. Yeah. You know, nothing's new in farming. Right. We're just recycling, right? Yeah. We're just uh, (laughs) trying to get it back out in the world that people are hearing it again. And other people are saying this. You know, I just saw Michael Phillips. He's an apple grower that just died, but he's talking the same thing. Yeah. Nature's giving you, you know, information. And if you can use your wisdom and intuition to find out what's going on there and then not impose your will. Did you say that you started 20,000 seed blocks? 20 to 25,000, yeah. And my question is, where do you get the seeds? Because my neighbor bought Ferry Morris uh, seeds. She wanted a specific broccoli, like Calabrese, let's say. And she sure. she's an expert... I'll call her an expert gardener. She has a wonderful <laughs> urban farm. She, um, Give her a she, break. Yeah, she sowed, she got 20 broccolis to be super hardy, beautiful. They all turned into four foot tall flowering broccolis that never headed. And they, these seeds that she bought, you know, were supposed to be a specific cultivar. You know, somebody wasn't collecting the seeds properly. There was some... Um, Something cross, happened. Cross and it, pollination. Yeah, and, or it went to what happened, you know, 10,000 years ago. Like, <laughs> it was like the primal, primal broccoli, and she's very, you know, it was a waste because she wasted the space because she thought she it's was going to Because that's a big crop, too. Yeah. It's a big area. So, Jim, what do you think about uh, Ferry Morris not responding to her, <laughs> to her comment? Or, you know, what, what would you do? Or how do you get your seeds? How do you know you're, you're getting good seeds? I mean, nobody's perfect. You know, oh, that's sweet. Happen. It's, a, it's a natural system, and, you know, it's not going to be perfect. You don't got guarantees on anything. Yeah. You know, you you learn to trust some of your seed companies, and, you know, I've got a couple. Um, one's called Fedco, and one's called Johnny Select Seeds. They're both in Maine. Um, you know, and they're always experimenting with stuff. But, you know, mistakes are made. Seed packages get mislabeled. You know, and oftentimes, you know, conditions are so much different. You know, often when broccoli goes directly to flower, it's missing something. Mm-hmm. Like there was some uh, big, heavy temperature change. Maybe it didn't go in early enough is what I'm thinking. Or maybe it wasn't started in a situation to where it didn't get stressed in the very beginning. Because I find that something that gets stressed in the very beginning is not going to happen later. It's going to show up yeah. as a flaw somewhere. Well, with her experience, it was interesting yeah. that out of, the ni- out of the 20 plants, 19 of them like, reverted to this a- ancient broccoli and only one of them headed and they were all, you know, three or four foot tall plants. We do have a call, Jim, from David in Newport Ritchie. Oh. Hi, David. Hi there, Jim. Uh, and you're not Jim, but I, <laughs> I, I have met Hi. Jim a cu- couple of times down at the market, one time uh, also out of this place on Virginia. But uh, that was what my question was about. Is, uh, did he go through any kind of a hassle with the city or the county in getting the approval to, you know, to his yard like he did rather than having to put in that golf course, you know? Yeah. Great question. Um, you know, I started small, so it kind of happened very slowly. Um, and I always kept it beautiful because, you know, I have the yeah. background in ornamental horticulture, so I was able to make it pretty. Um, and then came along a really forward-thinking guy. The, the guy, his name's Del DeChant, and he's actually running for city council again, but 30 years ago... He uh, was on city council, and he instituted the Yard Waste Recycling Program. Oh, he did. That's wonderful. And since then, 
he's on the environmental committee, and they got an agricultural ordinance um, passed within the city. So they cannot tell you you can't grow food in your front yard. They can't say, oh, you've got high vegetation, you need to mow it. So it is legal to do it in your front yard now, and nobody can stop you, which is a nice thing. And, yeah. you know, they, yeah. But, you know, sure. the bad thing about ordinances is they tell you what you can do, and they also tell you what you can't do. And it didn't it used to be anything I couldn't do, but now there is a I'm to do it. It brings people to the, um, you know, the city. It's a really forward-thinking city. So, you know, I'm seeing other people come because of the yard waste, you know, the tree, and then, you know, pretty cheap land still here. Very good. Okay, thank you. Thanks, David. That street uh, where Jim lives, uh, a lot of people grow vegetables. I think there's a guy that lives there that you call him, what is his broccoli? What's his name? Broccoli George. Broccoli George, yeah. Because he's so good with the growing broccoli. Maybe your friend should talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jim, you have, you, this is just like amazing. You have a half an acre and oh, you're yeah, starting twenty to 25,000 seedlings a year. And planting them and harvesting them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's where you come up with your 70 hours a work week. Yeah. Um, right. But I'm feeding, you know, I'd say somewhere between 70, 80 families there. Um, leafy greens and root vegetables through the winter. Is that a week? Yeah. Yeah. I would think it'd be a, per week you're doing that. Yeah. And you... That's amazing. So talking about your... It's like an ornamental, edible front yard landscape. Do you put the broccoli all over the yard, the lettuce all over the yard? Is everything intermingled? How do you design the garden? Um, yeah, it's definitely intermingled. Uh, you know, diversity you know, works in stuff like that, you know, it definitely, um, and it's more beautiful because textures and colors and heights, you can mix it all up. You know, it makes it hard to have somebody else harvest because I can barely find, you know, where all the broccoli is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but outrageous diversity, I heard from Michael Phillips last night, and I think that's what we should shoot for. Yeah, you know, when like what you're talking about, if you have a lot of different plants, even if you do have a pest or a problem, it's not going to get them all because it's it no. diversified. So if you had all of one thing, then it's just going to wipe out that whole crop, whereas you have a lot of different things, they're just going to pick one of their favorites, you know. And I know a lot of people just plant something that is a favorite of a pest, yeah. so they'll keep it away from the food that they really want, yeah. you know, so. Can you talk to us about your vendor profile? Do you have like 50% leafy greens? Is it 80%? What else? I know you grow you know, potatoes. It's through the year, but it's very diverse. I'm probably taking, you know, if you group things together, at least, you know, 40 different crops to market during, you know, January, February, March. Yeah, you know. Um, Broccoli, cauliflower, lettuce, um, green garlic, turnip, um, wasabi arugula, regular arugula. I'm looking around. Kohlrabi, um, one of my favorites. Kohlrabi, beets, carrots, um, lots of yeah, those yellow beets. I ate it like apples last <laughs> night raw. They're so good. <laughs> so what happens if you don't sell everything that you picked for the market? What happens to those produce? You know, one thing, you know, I never think I would be a good salesperson because I'm not one to soup the persuasion, but the food sells itself, which is yeah. wonderful. And then over the years, you make contact. So, you know, and I had a new contact this year. There's some woman started a juicing business, just, oh. you know, a few blocks south of uh, 
um, Main Street there. And so she'll take leftover stuff. And, you know, the health food store almost always will take leftover stuff. So, you know, like I went to market with, you know, probably $1,000 worth of produce yesterday. And I came home with, um, you know, I think 10 bags of arugula. Yeah. And does she take that and juice it? No. So I came home with that because I'll use that tomorrow at market. Oh, okay. Um, the rest of the, you know, the health food store bought $100 worth of stuff. The juicing lady bought $40 worth of stuff. We have to quit talking about money. What? <laughs> we can't talk about money on this show. <laughs> Just reference it a little bit. You can say car load. Yeah. <laughs> Truck load. Something like that. <laughs> so, Jim, you are going up north soon. Do you live, do you own the house in Florida? Or are you renting? Yes, I own the one house, and then my brother owns the next door house. My mom lives it during the winter. Okay. And then do you, so you'll set the cover crop of sweet potatoes. Do you need somebody to do anything to that during the summer or you just come back and see how it handled? I just come back and, you know, usually a couple weeds have sprung up and they went wild in certain spots. So, you know, it's a little bit overwhelming when I get back to see a half acre of sweet potatoes with a bunch of weeds mixed in. But, you know, quickly, you know, I had some help this year. I kind of organized a sweet potato roundup and had like 10 or 15 people help pull vines. Um, but, you know, it's, it's you know, mulched and ready to go. If I get here in, you know, mid-October, by mid-November, it's planted out this year. You know, nothing happens much between November when I get it in the ground and the time when I start harvesting in December. So I went back to Maine for a few weeks, which was kind of nice this year. So I just want to make sure that people know when you said the Roundup means not the chemical, that you had a whole lot of people that showed up and helped harvest all the sweet potatoes. So that's it. Right. Oh, and you didn't get them all because when they leave it in the ground, Jim had this gigantic one and it was at the house and I took it home and baked it <laughs> and it was 12 cups of sweet potato, one sweet potato. It was delicious too, I got to say. Do you have somebody or do you need someone to prepare your northern garden or is the winter no, so got, helping you know i've got a family up there um you know a little girl and a girlfriend and they're got a homestead there that i started farming like three or four years ago so they're kind of minding the goats and the greenhouses and all that and then i'll show up there you know first week of may and um you know i'm bringing some onions i start down here that i'll put in the ground up there and um a few plants i'll have started in soil blocks i'll bring and get the ground running and get stuff in the ground very cool on the line we have tanya and oh yay we all know tanya she's from the sustainable living show and the events team and she's going to hi tanya, hi, tanya. <laughs> She's going to tell us what's hey, happening in Central so Florida. Tanya Vitavikwe here with your events for the week and a little beyond, so get your pencils ready. <laughs> okay, so for today, Clearwater Community Garden is having a work day today at 4 p.m., and that is at 1277 Grove Street in Clearwater. Um, EcoFest Earth Day um, is on April 23rd at 10 a.m. at 4801 East Fowler. We have Plaza Bella. Um, at the Green Boutique, that's this Saturday at 9 a.m. That's 1032 Bloomingdale Ave in Valrico. And Green Thumb Festival, that is at Walter Fuller Park, Saturday, April 23rd, 7901 30th Avenue um, North in St. Pete. And then if you are not getting out doing events, I have a few online learning classes. 
The IFAS Extension Office for Orange County has a bunch of online events, which are always really awesome. So tomorrow at 630, they have a Bat House Building Workshop. And then on uh, Zoom on April 20th at 10 a.m., there's a Backyard Chicken Training Class. <laughs> um, so I posted all the links to all of the different um to all of these events on our sustainable living uh, page on Facebook. So you can find a bunch of stuff and more there. Thanks, Tanya. I wanted to say, when you said the chicken training uh, course, I'm thinking that they're training the chickens. So I don't know that's you not know, the case. Kenny, <laughs> Kenny, you know what? We should do a, a, a show on chicken training because Kenny actually trained his chickens to do like an obstacle course. Oh, Kenny is an exceptional guy. <laughs> That's amazing. He probably has little outfits for him too. No outfits. No outfits. <laughs> but they good. do. But they can do an agility course. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Thanks, <Athletic>. Tanya. <laughs> Absolutely, great show, guys. Thank Thanks. you. Uh, we do have one short. E- why we have one short text message I wanted to read because it's from Bubba, and you know how my Bubba. feelings towards Bubba. He says, "Maine is beautiful. I want to be a snowbird like Jim." <laughs> So uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about watering. Um, I know that up in Maine, you do scything, which you use just the grass and no extra water at all. Uh, And that uh, the grass then the plants drink the water from the grass uh, letting go of it. And then the other thing too, and is in uh, Florida, you use a well. um, Well, first I want to say, a long time ago, I heard you say on a video, you said something about using a RV water filter on your hose spigot. And I had to play that back because it was such a small little ditty that you threw out there. And I got one and it made all the difference in the world in my uh, garden. I got an RV filter for my city water. Now you have a well there and I know it's super salty and it uh, the chard tastes like it's been salted. So talk to a little, little bit since we have a very short period of time left about your watering system, please. Yeah, so I, you know, I've been watering city water, but, you know, it you know, gets a little expensive. Mm-hmm. And as I got bigger and bigger, this house that I moved into like four years ago had a well. So I went ahead and put a pump on it. And, you know, it's not extremely salty. If it was extremely salty, nothing would grow. Okay. Um, and I'm not watering with seawater. But there is a hint of salt if you drink it. Um, and, you know, before I started using that, I could not grow chard or beets or spinach. Uh, oh, you mean um, it was contributed to your ability to grow it? Yeah. Because, oh, my goodness. Yeah, because it's a saltwater species. Oh. Salt, you know, a salt shore species, you know. So right. The are. So uh, they thrive on that. and might give them a little boost to, you know, pests or whatever. But, you know, it definitely made a difference. And it didn't seem to affect anything else I was already growing, you okay. know, in a, in a negative way. So... You know, I mean, certain things, beans don't seem to like it. And, you know, now that I find, you know, I used to hand water everything until I know. this year. So, <laughs> I, you know, that was a lot. Um, yeah. Now I've put it in the irrigation system and see how that goes. But it seems to be affecting in certain plants a little bit more now. Salt. Sprinkler for some reason. In a good way or a negative way? No, in a negative way. Some of the trees definitely get burnt. Oh, yeah. okay. Because of the salt. I guess. I'm thinking. I mean, yeah. who knows? You know, I don't know, but that charge is, del- yeah. is delicious. It tastes like I salted it. It's the best. In fact, I hope that's going to be in my box this time. <laughs> it will be. <laughs> I'm hoping. 
That's we, her request. We have a uh, text or a yep. email. From Leah. She says her apartment has a north-facing modeled shade screened balcony. Oh. Can't she grow anything there, Jim? <laughs> <laughs> and, and she loves the show. Oh, that's good. Thanks, Leah. Uh, did I, you know, north face is really hard. Yeah, it is. Florida. In Maine, north actually gets sun because the sun Oh, the way you're positioned. Yeah, so it's amazing by, you know, from, you know, yeah, probably... You know, late May to uh, early July, you get you can almost have full sun on the north side. Of the you day. have longer sun length uh, at that time too, right? Well, just because, yeah, that's you know, that's forty fifth parallel up there. We have right. longer days. Um, yeah, so it's yeah, it's the fun. I'm an early morning person, and because it's so far east, it should be on Atlantic time, but because uh-huh. um, across the river in Canada, it is. But the sun rises at four o'clock there in June. Wow. Well, to help Leah out, I know in the summer, I know we're south, but in the summer, noon, something that's north-facing around noontime, we do get a little bit of sun. Yeah. And all I can think of is mint or yeah, some, some ground cover, edible. Yeah, and mint, uh, just to let you know, too, that needs a lot of water. And you don't want to plant it with other things. But be- she's on a balcony. Well, that's true. So yeah. it'll be in its own pot. Okay. And I think you might be able to work on some basil too. But you're going to have to really get enough sun for just about everything. You know, I can't really. Even if it's north facing, oh, if, if it's away from the building. Spinach. It could get sun. There's different spinaches that you could do. Uh, Siso spinach does in shade and sun. Uh, that's something you can get from different people. I don't know if you can buy this. Yeah, I was also thinking of like alternative spinaches, yeah. like not the American spinach that you can buy at the grocery oh, store. Oh, the Egyptians. But Egyptian, the, Brazilian, right. CISO, yeah. Yeah, those would probably work. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, do we have anything else over there, Kenny? Uh, that's it for the emails for now. Okay. So... Um, I know that the way that you um, uh, you don't use fertilizer. So what what do you do to keep your plants uh, fertile? Is it is it all from the beginning, or or how does that work? You know, there's an ecosystem that you know nature doesn't fertilize. You know, right, it lays organic matter on the top, and you know everything thrives. So yeah, you compose the system and your plants that way, and. Um, yeah, it doesn't need much. You know, that is the, you know, the imposition I do, spreading that compost twice a year. But mm-hmm. otherwise, it's mostly composition, you know, the right plant at the right time of the year. Yeah. So it's all that way. It's amazing. People don't believe it. I had a 10-pound cauliflower this year. 10 pounds? Oh, my God. That's like a big you know, baby. Crazy. <laughs> and then the soil scientist at one time had told a friend of mine, using the Newport Ritchie compost, he couldn't grow brassicas. Oh, but so why? Soils, you know, well, you know, because of what soil science does. It takes the soils and kills it, so there doesn't test biology at all. It's a chemistry experiment. And the chemistry saying the high pH wouldn't work, but with the organic matter, and who knows what the exact science is, but I killed it with, um, you know, broccoli and cauliflower. Oh, you mean you did well. You didn't kill it. You, yeah. you th- they yeah, thrive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's your slang for <laughs> get it on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you scared me a minute there. What do you mean you're killing it? <laughs> so, Jim, you've mentioned a lot of books that you've read, which is wonderful to hear because uh, people are always trying to find good resources. Yeah. And there's a lot of videos out there that you're featured in. And we were wondering how... Have those videos helped your business or 
Are you doing it just to teach others how to be successful? What's your feeling about well, YouTube videos? Yeah. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to have a, a guy want to do the video, so I don't have to do anything except show up. He comes yeah. and films it. So it gets a lot of information out to the world, which wouldn't get there. You know, I've, a lot, I've got something really unique going on here, and the fact that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are seeing it and being inspired by it, it's a really cool thing. You know, it's become a little bit of a pain in the ass, a pain in the butt, um, because a lot of people show up wanting to see it. And I, you know, and I don't want to be rude and, you know, not talk to them, but um, I wouldn't get anything done if I was right. always talking to people coming by. But any farmer that comes, I love talking to them because, you know, I've had, you know, dozens of young farmers come and say, oh, it doesn't have to be like that. Yes. It be it, like this. Yeah. Uh, people are surprised how, well, I mean, it's not easy. But uh, but you make it work for you, and you you are a, just a person that is tuned in to the environment and to all the things that are around you. And I'm so grateful that you are on the show, Jim. Oh, I'm starting to cry <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I well, I have learned so much from you, and I just want everybody to know all this information. <laughs> what were you going to say, Jim? Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Yeah, don't forget to come tomorrow. I'm coming tomorrow. One time I forgot. I had to run over there. <laughs> because, oh, the one thing is, is that I did learn, uh, I did know about Jim years and years and years and years ago. And I was like very interested in doing that myself, which I've increased mine. But the, the and I've got to run out of time. But the thing is, is that I did go over there when it was COVID because I was buying vegetables and it was just remarkable. And I'm just so grateful. And thank you again for being Thank you, Jim, for being a wonderful guest and teaching us lots of information. All right. Thank you. Uh If you enjoyed this show and our weekly content, please consider going to WMNF.org and donating through the tip jar and directing your donation to the Sustainable Living Show. Your donation helps keep us on air. Stick around for the next hour to hear WMNF Tampa's Monday Music with Flea. If you want to hear more public interest programming, you can switch over to WMNF's HD3 channel, The Source, to listen to today's Tan Hartman Show live. Tune in next Monday morning at 11 for the next Sustainable Living Show, where we will be talking with Michelle Northrop, director at the Learning Gate Community School, about the 13th annual EcoFest. Lucky 13. That's going to be a great show. Mm -hmm. Follow our Facebook page, Sustainable Living WMNF, to stay in the loop. I'm Kenny Coogan. And I am Annie Ellis. Remember, if you're looking for someone to save the world, look in the mirror. Bye-bye. Bye. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say, here 